Today, we are starting our second Sunday on our 30-day stay-at-home Ignatian retreat. Now, there's always confusion when we do this. So we're doing a 30-day Ignatian retreat template, and that in Ignatius' way he did things is he called it four weeks. But he has five sections, and so it's always confusing. So it's week two, but we're really starting week one today. Because week the last week was kind of a preparatory week, and so or you could divide week one into two parts. So it's part one one B today, or it's actually week one today as we're starting um, our uh, into this this month of January that we're saying let's launch our year using this historic uh, template that God has used you know Christian people have used for five hundred years to get on a good solid foundation launching in to what God has in the future. And so we're doing this, so it's week two of that, week one of the Ignatian retreat, and it's basically this, it's dealing with the reality of me. Everybody say me. Me. It's dealing with the reality of me, of you. That's what today is about. And let's start today by looking at a story from Scripture, and um, let me just tell you the story at first. Um, It's found in 2 Samuel. It's the story of an encounter between King David and Nathan the prophet. And the story goes like this, that the army of Israel was engaged in a battle, and David, who was the commander of the army, who normally would be with the army, chose to stay back in Jerusalem and just hang out at home while all of his men were out fighting. He was king, and he didn't have to go, but he always had. But he had chosen to not go and fight with the people, and he stayed, stayed back. And, and one evening, it says, and this is what I love about Scripture. One of the things I love, Scripture just tells the truth. The unvarnished truth doesn't make people look great a lot of times so that we have comfort in saying, hey, we're not always that great and God shows his, a lot of his people aren't. But that David, instead of going with the army, stayed back and his, he was in his house and his house back then, they had flat roofs and he's walking around on the roof over the city and as he's walking on the roof, he looks off the side of his roof into obviously somebody's courtyard or their backyard And he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. She's washing up in the back and he's watching her and and she doesn't know that he's watching and, and he's basically being a peeping Tom and he's watching this lady take a bath. And it says that David saw that she was beautiful and he asked his his people, his servants, who is that lady who lives over there? And they found he found out through them that she her name was Bathsheba. Uh, um, yeah, and that she was the wife of a soldier that was fighting in his army, and his name was Uriah the Hittite. Well, David sent some of his men, when he found out who she was, to go to her house and say, you need to come to king's palace. And so she goes to, to David's house, and David, I mean, unbelievably forces her to sleep with him. And then he sends her home. Well, somebody say, how's that possible? Well, it's possible because we can't even conceive of what a culture what that was like, especially for you ladies, because you literally back then would have had zero rights. And the king said, you're going to do this, you're going to come to my house, and I'm going to take advantage of you, and you would have no recourse but to go back home and, and uh, keep your mouth shut and go on with business as usual. Well, sometime later, Bathsheba found out that she was pregnant, and so she sends, sends word to David and says, hey, king, um, you got me pregnant. So what's David to do with that? Bathsheba was pregnant. 
her husband was gone, fighting for Israel, literally fighting for King David. Her husband honorably is fighting for him, and he's dishonorably dishonoring Uriah and his, and his wife. So David conceives a plan. He had Uriah the Hittite sent back as a messenger from the battlefield to give a report to David for what was happening on the battlefield. Well, obviously, David just made an assumption that when Uriah came home, he would spend the night with his wife, and then when he found out later she was pregnant, he would just assume the child was his. But David's plan didn't work out because Uriah was an incredibly honorable man, and Uriah did return, but instead of spending the night with his wife, which we know is right by the palace, instead it says he slept outside the king's door with the other servants. And when David asked him why he did that, why didn't he go, why did he sleep there the next day? Why didn't he go home? Uriah said he wasn't going to go to his nice house, sleep in his nice bed, eat good food, while his other soldiers were out living. He says this, sleeping in tents and in battle. He said he wasn't going to dishonor his, his other soldiers that way. So David's plan didn't work. So David conceives another plan. And he sent a, a note with Uriah when he's going back to the, the army, back to the commander of the army. And the note told the commander to put Uriah in a place in the battle where surely he would be killed, where they would pull back the troops, Uriah would be left, and he would be killed. And the commander got the note. Can you imagine that? You delivered the note that says, kill me. The commander got the note, placed Uriah in that place in the battle, and Uriah was killed in the battle. And then when David found out Uriah was dead, then he went, got, your, got Bathsheba, brought her into his palace, and made her his wife. But the story doesn't end there. You see, Scripture says that God was not happy with David. David was the king. David was the one that God had blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. But God was not happy with David for what he did. So he sent the prophet, Nathan, to confront him. And I want us to look at this this morning. Look at 2 Samuel with me, and maybe you turned there earlier, but 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to look at the, at the interaction between David and Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 12, got your phones fired up or your Bibles open? Starting in verse 1, it said that then the Lord sent Nathan to David, Nathan is the prophet in the land, and he came to him and he said, he tells him a story. He said, there were two men in a city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had, a gra- had great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and he nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who would come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who would come. In other words, he butchered it and cooked it and served it. Verse 5, then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul, and it is I who gave your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I... Uh, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if you had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Nathan looks at David taking his own life in his hands, because David could have him killed, just like he had Uriah killed. And he says, you are the man. David, you are guilty of adultery, and David, you are guilty of murder. And when Nathan confronted him, for some reason a light bulb went on, and David saw the reality of his sin. He acknowledged his sin, he saw his sinfulness in light of God's holiness, and he pens a psalm. Flipping your Bible to Psalms, Psalm 51. He penned these words. This is what he wrote after Nathan confronted him. We'll just look at the first four verses of it. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. See, David came face to face with the reality of his sinfulness. Somehow he was able um, to do all that he did with Bathsheba and Uriah and deceive himself and excuse himself. But when Nathan confronted him, he saw the reality of who he really was and he broke down in repentance before God. Now, that is what week one of the Ignatian Retreat is all about. This process with David and Bathsheba and Nathan is is a picture of what the week one of an Ignatian Retreat is all about. It's about seeing the reality of our own faults, seeing the reality of our own sins, seeing our own shortcomings, and then repenting of those and experiencing forgiveness from God. The reason Ignatius began last week with the retreat as we did last Sunday and and last week was we looked at the goodness and the greatness of God so that when we came to this week, it would be so easy to see the contrast. Last week we looked at God and, and, and we were amazed. We looked at his creation and we looked back over our lives and saw all the things that he did and we were amazed by just how, how God is impacting our lives and all the, his fingerprints everywhere in creation and we're just amazed by the wonder and the magnitude and the goodness and the glory of God. Well, this week we change our focus and we look at ourselves and in contrast, it's so easy that we see this huge gap between ourselves and God. Now, Most likely, none of us have done the kind of things that David did, right? Probably. But when we are honest with ourselves, all of us have areas in our lives where God is not honored. None of us have arrived yet. If if you're fully um, sanctified and perfect, you're the only one in the room because I'm not and no one is. 
All of us have areas in our lives that are not, where we're not on our God. We all have areas in our lives where we need to get better, um, where we need to repent. We need to change direction in our lives. We need to make changes that line up with how God wants us to live. And week one of an Ignatian retreat is meant to give us the opportunity to expose those areas in our lives. And someone could say, that is a horrible idea. Why would I want to do that? Friends, understand something. The opportunity to do that is a gift. It was a gift for Nathan to confront David. God loved David so much that he confronted him. He exposed his sin so that David would come to terms with his sin. He would confess it. He would repent. And that change of direction in his life would cause him to be restored with man and God. Friends, that is a gift from God. And that's a gift that we can all receive today and this week. The gift of being honest with ourselves about ourselves. To be honest with ourselves about ourselves so that we can address anything in our lives that is keeping us from experiencing the fullness and the deepest relationship with Christ available. Friends, it's the gift of getting better of finally exposing what we have been hiding for so very long so that we can find healing and restoration in our own lives. You see, the Holy Spirit, friends, wants the best for you. He wants the best for me. So today and this week, we are going to invite him to examine us and to help us see anything that is is harming us, anything that is hindering us in our walk with God. It's a week of exposing our soul before the Lord. Now remember, we said last week, and we'll say every week, that in every one of these weeks, Ignatius tried to express this idea of what the focus of the week is through what he called the grace I seek. So for week one, the grace I seek, this is how Ignatius would say it, is to have it made clear to me of my sinfulness. I want to see it all. To see whatever it is that still holds me back from becoming all that you desire me to be, To see in all honesty where I really stand with you today, Lord. Help, Lord, help me not to be, not to lie to myself. I just desperately need to come clean as to all manner of selfishness and sin in my life, to worldly attachments I yet cling to, and the lies and the addictions that keep me from you. Now remember, if you're trying to write all that down, all of that and all the spiritual exercises, are on the website and are in the brochure that we created for you that is out in the connection area. So you look at week two, or week one rather, and it has the grace I seek and then the spiritual practices and the the verses that we're going to focus on to help us this week. Friends, let me tell you something about week, week one of the Ignatian Retreat. It takes boldness and strength to do what this week asks. It takes maturity to do what this week asks. To be honest with yourself, to be honest with myself. Ignatius said in in his The Grace I Seek, I want to see it all. I desperately need to come clean. In essence, this week, we are inviting, listen to this, the Holy Spirit to be like Nathan to each one of us. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to be like Nathan to us. We are welcoming the Holy Spirit to put his finger on those things in our lives that must go so that we have nothing between us and God. 
Now, as we gauge with God today and this week, I want you to remember three words. Three words that are going to help guide you through this week. These are the words. I'll tell you, and then we'll review them. Realization, repentance, and restoration. Realization, repentance, and restoration. First of all, realization. Generally, it's very easy to see sins and faults in other people. But it's not nearly as easy to see those sins and faults in ourselves. So, for example, if I take a husband and wife, and I would, I'd bring them up here, and I would say to the, to the husband, hey, dude, tell me three problems with your wife. First of all, he'd be pretty dumb to do it, right? But tell me three things about your wife that just drive you nuts that, that she's just wrong about. You could probably go, boom, boom, boom. But then if I looked at the guy and said, hey, now tell me three problems with yourself, three things that you do wrong. You'd probably just scratch your head a little bit and go, what? I don't know. What do I do? I'm pretty perfect. You know, that's what most of us think. It'd probably take a little longer to see the faults in somebody else. You see, usually we are better at seeing other people's failures and faults and shortcomings than we are at seeing our own. Why? Because we are really good at rationalizing and making excuses for ourselves. When we do things that we would say is are wrong, Um, for someone else, but we do them ourselves, we often excuse ourselves because we can rationalize and justify our actions. Somebody else is, you talk to them and they're short with you and they're mad at you and they say something snippy and you go, what a crab. Man, you know what? Number one thing, that person's just crabby. But you come home from work after a long, hard day and you're crabby and somebody says, you're crabby. go, oh, yeah, of course I'm crabby. I had a hard day at work today. And we make excuses for ourselves. We justify and we rationalize why we do our own things. We justify our own actions. We excuse ourselves from improper reactions and actions because we think we have a good reason. Well, today and this week, let's be really bold. Here's the deal. You can choose to not do any of the things we talk about in the month of January. You can choose to just say, oh, that was a pretty interesting sermon. Go home, forget about it, and move to the next week. But I'm telling you, this process will help us get better. And I'm challenging us, us this week. Let's be bold this week, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the things in our lives that we generally deceive ourselves about and we make excuses Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us have a realization regarding our motives and our actions. Let's be bold enough to say, Holy Spirit, I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm uncomfortable with it. It's no fun, but I want a realization of what's true about my life. I don't want to be deceived about myself. Because a realization is what David had when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Before that point, he was somehow able to justify his own actions. Maybe he said something like this, well, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. No one can stand in my way. That's just a woman. That's the way he would have thought back then. I can do whatever I want. But when Nathan put his finger on his sin, he had a realization about his sinfulness and his guilt. And Ignatius is saying, listen, let's invite us Let's welcome, Holy Spirit, let's welcome this in our life. Let's seek after it for one week. Why? Because we'll never move forward 
in our lives until we are honest with where we're currently at. If we are excusing wrong motives and wrong actions, we will be stuck right there in our deception. And God wants to set us free from our deceptions so that he can help us see and realize what's really true of our sin and our shortcomings so that we can move past it. Because here's the deal. Realization's not the goal this week. Realization was the first word. We don't ever stop at realization. Realization is important, but it's not a destination. Realization is something we, we start the journey with. And realization then has to move to the second word, repentance. Once we realize there's a problem, there's an issue, then we need to make a change in our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what repentance is. It's a change of action and direction based upon a change in thinking. We change our thinking and go, you know what? I've always just rationalized why I act that way when I come home because you know what? My wife, my kids, everybody's had to deal with it. My dog's had to deal with it because I'm just tired and crabby and we rationalize it. But then we realize it by the Holy Spirit and go, oh, I don't want to be that way. But just realizing it doesn't do you any good. It's the first step. You realize it and then you repent. Repent says you recognize, you have an epiphany. Oh, that's not good. And then you adjust your life because of the epiphany that you have. So you make decisions, you make, you make changes based on a realization. Maybe for David, he had, to make this, he had to make this change. You know what the change was? I probably shouldn't walk on my roof anymore and look at naked ladies. You know, that was his change. I probably shouldn't walk around on my roof and looking at people taking baths anymore. It wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for them. Here's the question we asked this week. It's easy to point fingers at David. But here's the question we asked this week. What is God inviting you into? What change is God inviting you into? You know what? Maybe it's giving up your smartphone because you're too busy um, looking at porn. They tell us that the vast majority of people do. Maybe that's maybe maybe what God's saying to you this week is guess what? He's putting a finger on it. No more excuse making. He's saying put your smartphone away and put some some filters on your computer. You should stop looking at porn. Maybe he's saying, you know what, you should cut up your credit cards. Because the way you feel good about yourself is you just go out and spend on things. You go, but I live in Ozaki County. I've got tons of resources. But you know what? You're trying to find joy in your life and contentment in your life by what you can buy. Maybe it's by priority, prioritizing time with God over everything else in your life. That God's going to put his finger on you this week, on me this week. Remember, when I point his finger, there's three more pointing back. I never point my finger at anybody else without thinking, you know what, it's coming right back on me. Maybe God's going to say, you know what, stop spending time on all the rest of the things you spend time with. Maybe right now he's going to say to you, could you really not even listen to a sermon without looking at your phone, without looking at internet and texting people? Could you really not even go through a sermon without doing that when God's trying to get a hold of you? No, it's important. It's not more important than what God is doing. So you invite the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. You invite the Holy Spirit and you say, God, expose those things in me so that I can change what's going on. You invite change into your life. And remember this. Any change that God invites you into, although it may seem painful in the moment, is actually a path for your freedom. 
any change that God invites you into is actually a path of freedom. God is offering you a better way. So it starts with realization, which leads to repentance, which fosters, what was the last word, remember? Restoration. The goal. This is the destination. The destination isn't realization, it's not repentance. The, the destination is restoration. Restoration between you and God, restoration between you and other people. We need to understand that failure is not fatal. We all fail. God doesn't look at you and go, I can't believe that Mark failed again. He goes, no, I know Mark, and that's what he is. But you know what? Look at He made a great choice. He's doing it better. He's realized it, and he's repenting, and he's saying, and I want to be restored. That's what he does. God has restoration for everyone. If God had restoration for King David, who created a rape and murder, he surely has restoration for every one of us. It's why God uses people like David in the Scriptures. God doesn't use perfect people. He uses a David... So that we can look and say, you know what? If God could help that person, God could help me. God has restoration for us. Maybe for some of us, the life we have been living is actually keeping us from God. It's a way to hide from God. We've stayed so busy and so preoccupied, we hide from God. Well, God is inviting you to stop running away from him and to change direction and run to him. And friends, he always has arms wide open for you and me. But maybe for some of us in this room today, maybe most of us in this room today, we have at some point in our life, and we're in the process of running to God. We're followers of Jesus. We run to God with our lives. But we do see through a week like this, we're giving the Holy Spirit opportunity to be Nathan to us. We see there are things that need to be to change, things that need to be cleaned up in our lives, things that need to be turned away from, decisions that have to be made that said, I shouldn't act like that anymore. I shouldn't do that anymore. It's not healthy for me to do that. Those things that keep us from God. They don't keep God from us. And this is an important theological point for you to understand. Those things keep you from God. Not God from you. And think about it this way. Think about Adam and Eve. So many people have this backwards. They think, oh, my sin, God turns his back. Baloney. God never turns his back on you, ever. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve created in perfection, living in the garden. God gave them parameters to protect them, keep them from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, so that they didn't have to deal with that reality They chose to reject it. They chose to try to become God in their own life. They sinned. And what did they do? So God then went and turned his back on them and said, I never want to see you again. Is that what happened? No. They ran and hid behind a tree in the garden. And what did God do? God said, them rotten, terrible people. I'm just going to strike them with lightning. God chased after them. It's in the scriptures for us to learn from. When they sinned, they ran and hid. God didn't. In fact, he searched for them. He looked for them. He didn't turn his back. He went after them. Sin in our lives is like us hiding behind a tree. It's like us hiding from God. We put barriers between us and God. We put distance between us and God. We move away from God. 
So the gift of week one of the Ignatian retreat is that we, that it invites us to come out of hiding. It invites us to come out from behind the trees of our lives and calls us to come close to God who is seeking after us. Now, one of the ways, because we're still good at deceiving ourselves, one of the ways that we can become more aware of the things that in our lives that, that need to be dealt with but we tend to be blind to, or we choose to ignore and make excuses for, is by participating in one of the spiritual practices that Ignatius recommended on his retreats. And it's talked about in your, in your brochure and on the website. It's called imaginative prayer. It's one of the things Ignatius is known for. And it's something like this, that during your, uh, your um, time this week, and I've given you some suggested scriptures that could work, but you could pick any sections of scripture that are, narration, that are narratives, that are stories. That what Ignatius recommended we do is we take our Bible and a journal, and we go through our Bible and we find a story where there's interaction between God and man and people, there's interaction, and we imagine what it would have been like to be in that location at that time. Now, we don't think we're recreating scripture. We don't think that we're trying to now add to scripture, not at all. But we try to imagine what could have went on in that story. An interaction that might have taken between David and Nathan five minutes, but if you, to read it in Scripture, it may take maybe even two minutes to read the story, but it probably took an hour. And you try to sit and say, God, what could have maybe happened during that time? And you think, what would it have been like to be David in that interaction? What would it have been like to be Nathan in that interaction? And you put yourself into the story for, the re- for a reason. You're saying, Holy Spirit, show me things about me in this story. So imagine you take the story and you say, um, I'm going to imagine that I'm David in this interaction between, um, with David and Bathsheba and then David and Nathan. And you, and you slowly read through the story and you just kind of think, what might it have been like? What was happening? You write some things down. And as you go through it and you're talking about David's sinfulness and David's how he you know, how, how he uh, um, covered it up and how David didn't understand the truth. David didn't see the reality of himself. And as you're going through that, and you're saying, I'm, I'm David. How did David feel? What did David think? How did he react? And all of a sudden, you start thinking, hmm, maybe I do some of those same things. And as you live into the story, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will reveal things about your own life for you, for your blessing. You're not recreating Scripture, not adding to Scripture, but it's one of the tools that Ignatian says helps us um, learn things about ourselves. So one of the things I would suggest that you do this week is you take out a journal and you spend time in your Bible and you find some of these stories and you just live in those stories a little bit and you say, Holy Spirit, help me to, help me to enter into that story. Help me to pretend I'm David. Help me to pretend I'm whomever. And what could you teach me about me through the story? It's a spiritual practice that people have been using for, for 500 years, and it's really oftentimes very helpful. So today and this week, as we wrap up, we want to really see the truth about ourselves. No hiding, no excuse-making. As Ignatian says, we want to see it all. This is, I'm telling you, this is bold. It's so easy to sit here week after week. Me too. And go, I'm fine. I got it all together. But he's giving us a gift. The opportunity to say, I want to see it all. I want to deal with all of it. Get it out. Deal with it. Change direction. Repent and be restored. Why? So that we can move forward. 
Because here's the deal about Ignatian Retreat. That's what the next three weeks are about. Week one, the glory of God. Week two, the reality of ourselves. We see the gap. But then we're done dealing, looking at us right now. And week two, three, and four, we look to the future. We look at the public life of Christ, the death, and resurrection, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and we look at what is God inviting us into for our lives as we move forward into this coming year. So week one, the, the, the first week and week one, we just deal with reality of now. But then from this point on, after this week, we look forward to what could be as we become more conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what we want. We want to move forward. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, um, I'm going to ask you on behalf of our church family, those online, those here today, I'm going to ask you to help us. Lord, I don't think we are often all that good at being honest with ourselves. I think we're really good at being um, critical of other people seeing in other people what we don't like, but a lot of times we don't see the reality of ourselves. We're great deceivers. And Lord, we ask you, this today and this week, would you help us? Lord, there's not a person in this room, myself starting at the first in line, who doesn't have things that need to get better, things that need to change, things that need to be addressed. And this week, we're asking you, gently show us those things that you want to put your finger on. And God, I know that you, don't, you, never, you never touch everything at once because we couldn't handle it, but just the next thing in our life that needs to be dealt with, the next thing, would you put your finger on that? Would you expose it to us this week? The tendency to lie, the tendency to lie to ourselves. Lord, show us those things inside of us that you, as a gift, want to help us to move past. We're going to trust you, Holy Spirit, to to show us those because then we want to give them to you. We want to surrender them to you. We want to offer them up to you and say we don't want that to rule our lives anymore, to ruin our lives anymore. We're going to ask you, God, to restore in us Restoring us a, a right spirit. Restoring us any, any place that's, that's broken. Bring wholeness and health to it. And I pray this, Lord, for every single person in this place. As we're being honest with ourselves this morning, maybe you're here as we're still in an attitude of prayer. You're here or you're watching online. As you're honest with yourself, you can honestly say, I'm not really right with God. I don't care if you're 10 or you're 100. Anywhere in between. If you're honest with yourself, you know that you're really not devoted in your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've been playing games. You think you're fooling everybody else, but it's not about anybody else. It's about between you and God, the great life that God has for you if you walk in his way. And you're honest with yourself today and you say, I'm not really walking with the Lord. I'm fooling other people, I think, but I'm not.
you're here in this building, you're watching online. That process starts of realization and repentance and restoration starts the day you say yes to Jesus. You realize that you are lost without Him, that sin is really your controlling factor in your life. You're lost. And God's inviting you to to a brand new life. That's repentance. It's changing direction. It's realizing you're lost and that you need a Savior and changing direction and going, I'm going to stop um, thinking I can do it my way and I'm going to live God's way. I'm going to welcome all His help into my life and I'm going to ask Him to forgive me of all the garbage of my past and, and give me a brand new start. If we do that, then it ends in us saying, or God saying, welcome restoration. Welcome. Welcome into my family. So maybe you're here today and you say, I've never asked Christ in my life. Right now in just the quietness of your heart, you can go through that process. You can say, Jesus, I need you. I'm lost. I know I'm lost without you. Jesus, I need to find forgiveness. I need to, to have a change in my life. I need to be forgiven of all the garbage and made brand new. And so I come to you today. I want a new start. And I give my life over to you. And if you do that, you can be assured of this. The Bible says that when you say yes to Jesus, he receives you with open arms. He brings you into his family. He calls you his child. So Jesus, you know every person in this place. You know anybody who's here or in line, watching online who is, is saying that right now. And I would just ask this. Would you in such a powerful way make them know? Make them know that you are with them in this moment as they welcome you as their Lord and Savior and they turn away from their own life of self-rule. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, we know this week... This is probably the most challenging week of the retreat. Challenging week of our month of January. Our stay-at-home retreat. And Lord, I pray this would be this the most beneficial because we are true with ourselves. And we advance in our spiritual walk with you. So I pray your blessings and your goodness and your grace to just be heavy on every person as we take time this week to allow you access into our lives. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Close by just praying a blessing over you. Remember, if you're planning on going to the membership meeting, and it's a little bit after church here, a couple minutes, we'll have that meeting. We'll start in room 10. I challenge you too, if the Lord's speaking to you, spend some time in prayer. Spend some time coming up here and, and praying. Spend some time uh, in your chair praying and just say, God, I don't want to leave until you're done with me. If you feel done, though, when we're done praying, just make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a wonderful time just fellowshipping with your church family. Let's pray the great blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. If you want to pray, come and pray. Otherwise, have a wonderful day in Jesus.